Pastor Chris's podcast. When I was a kid, we had certain traditions associated with mealtime. Um, some of those traditions we carried on to our family today, and some of them we don't. For instance, we would all sit around the table and eat dinner together. And before you could get up, you, had, you couldn't get up and you had to ask, may I be excused? And you weren't allowed to leave the table until you were excused. So we, we don't do that now in my family, but we do say a blessing before every meal. And when I was a kid, we would take turns saying blessings, which we do in our family now as well. And it would sometimes be the parents that would say it, but sometimes would also be the kids that would say it. And a lot of times the prayer that we said was just that simple blessing that many of us learned as children. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. And so that's cool because that is actually the, the theme for Vacation Bible School this year. So each day, they're going to take a different phrase from that prayer, and they're going to pair it with a Bible lesson and go through. And they're going to pretend to be having a food truck party all week long, so it's going to be a lot about food, and the lessons will be associated with food. But Monday is God is Great, and they're going to look at Exodus 18, the story of God providing for the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness in Exodus. I gave them manna from heaven. Tuesday is God is good. And that's from 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. And we're going to look at that story in the sermon today. Wednesday, they're going to study, let us thank him for our food. And the lesson will be Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel and the exiles are in the court of the king of Babylon and uh, or the Assyrian king, and they Uh, are trying to feed them food, but the Israelites don't want to take that food because it might be unclean. And so they say, just give us some vegetables. And they eat the vegetables, and yet they grow stronger than all of the other people that are eating the king's food. Thursday is, by his hands we all are fed, give us Lord our daily bread. And it's from Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And he feeds them from those... uh, Uh, was it five loaves and two fishes. So great. They're going to learn lots of great stuff this week. But today I want to go into one of those stories. It's the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. It's a really cool, interesting story. And I think it's something for us today that God wants to say. Now in this story, this is a little background. This comes to this from the 17th chapter. But if you read the 16th chapter of 1 Kings, it tells you all about these different kings that were king of Israel. And if you read through the chapter, it's like this king was bad. And then there was this king and he was bad. And then there was this king and he was bad. And there was this king and he was evil. And then at the end, it says, and then there was King Ahab. And he was worse than all of the rest of them. And, um, and so then you come to the 17th chapter and God has decided that he is going to punish King Ahab and the nation of Israel for their sins. But it also tells how he's going to provide. And so we'll read that story today. 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 1 through 16. Now Elijah, who was from Tishba in Gilead, told King Ahab, 
As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. That's amazing. <laughs> have you imagined? We're normally feeding the birds, but here God's going to use the birds to feed Elijah. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And did you notice there? He said, she said, I swear by the Lord your God. You see, Zarephath was not an Israelite city. These were Phoenicians. They were foreigners. They didn't worship Yahweh. So she says, she recognizes that he is a foreigner and she swears by his God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I, only, I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was going to gather a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left over to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was enough. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I think that maybe this word speaks to us today. We need rain. We need rain. It's hot and it's dry. I haven't had a drop of rain on my garden in three weeks. Three weeks. But in Elijah's day, it was three and a half years that they went without a drop of rain. Can you imagine that? Three and a half years. Now, the Israelites in ancient times were accustomed to long periods of dry weather. And they had adapted to overcome this. And I saw this firsthand when I went to Israel in 2008. The bedrock in Israel is relatively easy to dig into. And so they dig cisterns, big cisterns, 
Some of these cisterns are up to an acre um, in width and, and length. And so what happens is that whenever it rains, they have everything prepared and they have channels dug so that these cisterns collect all of the rain. One good rain in Israel will fill up these massive cisterns and, they, and then they can survive for quite a long time without any rain. It may go for months without rain and they have water to drink. And they have water to irrigate their fields and they can get by for a good long time. And then all it takes is one more good day of rain to fill those cisterns back up. I kind of did a little experiment at my house in my garden. I got some IBC totes. These are these square tanks. I got two of them that will hold enough rain, 550 gallons. So one good rain hits my, the roof of my house and it fills up these two tanks. So the last rain that we had back at the beginning of June filled up both of those tanks. And I was able to use that water to water my garden for three weeks before it finally rent ran dry. Thankfully, I have city water too, so I can pull out the water hose and I can water my garden. I'm doing okay. But I still like rain because God's rain is always better than water from the hose. But these Israelites did that on a massive scale. And they could last for months without rain. And all it took was one good rain to get them back on track. But the Bible tells us that they had gone for three and a half years. Now think about that. Think about living in a time when you had to grow what you ate. And if you didn't grow it, you couldn't eat. How dependent you were on the rain. You could get by for a little while. In year one, with no rain, you would have no harvest that year. Little to no harvest but you still have food because you would have stored up food from last year, right? You harvest the food, you put it in storage, and that gets you through to the next harvest. Well, when the next harvest doesn't come because of a drought, you still got a little bit left over. And you say, well, times are tough. And what do we do when times are tough? We tighten our belts. And so you still got a little bit left over from last year's harvest, if we cut our rations, we can get by for a little while longer, maybe until the rains come. And then in year two of drought, the drought, no harvest again this year. No one is eating well. But the stores from the last harvest you had, they're starting to run low, even though you've cut your rations back. So you start going to neighboring villages and maybe even traveling really far distances to try to find a land that might have some food and you barter. You sell your, your family heirlooms, your jewels and things like that to try to get enough food just to get you by. But no one is eating well. Drought year three. No harvest again this year. Only scraps of food are left. You think about you go into your storage bins and what you find there, the very dregs of your grain supplies, things you wouldn't even feed your animals because it's got worms and mold and it's just pretty bad stuff. But it's all that's left. If you don't eat that wormy, mealy stuff, you don't eat. So what do you do? You suck it up and you cut your rations way back and you're glad to have that wormy bread that your mama baked in the oven. 
you get, eat it. What little water is left is just the muddy, gross, contaminated stuff that's basically the mud puddles at the bottoms of the cisterns, wherever you can find it. Even the wells are running dry. But you drink that stuff because if you don't, you die of thirst. And not only are you thirsty, you now also have intestinal parasites and all of that kind of stuff that comes along with drinking dirty, nasty water. And after three and a half years, everyone is either contemplating or actually eating their last meal. You go into your jar, just like it tells in the story, and you find that last bit of flour and that last bit of olive oil, and you say, well, I guess this is it. Let's bake that one last part, one last piece of bread, and let's live it up, and then we die. And that's where we find this widow in Zarephath when Elijah comes along. And the Bible tells us a story of how he's going to take care of Elijah and take care of the widow of Zarephath and her son. And it's a story of faith, if you think about it. I mean, think about it. Here comes Elijah up to the gate of this foreign city, and a woman's in there about to cook her last meal. Nobody's eating well. All they've got to drink is muddy water. Barely enough. And some foreigner comes to the city gates and is like, Hey, could you spare a glass of water? <laughs> now what would you say? I know what I'd say. What are you talking about, dude? Nobody's got enough food or water to drink. Why are you some stranger that doesn't even belong here? Why are you asking me for water? Do you think I'm going to give you water when I don't even have water for myself or my son? But what does it tell us she does? She doesn't say anything like that. She goes off to get him a cup of water. And while she's on the way, Elijah's like, oh yeah, and, and bring me some bread while you're at it. <laughs> and that's the last straw. Then she turns around and she says, look, I don't have any food. I swear by the name of your God, I don't have anything in my house. As a matter of fact, I'm about to cook our last meal before we die of starvation. And Elijah says, go ahead, make me some bread, and then you will have enough. And she does it. <laughs> what would you do in that situation? You're about to starve to death and cook your last meal. Would you give your last meal to some stranger that doesn't even worship the same God as you? But she does. That's amazing to me. And it's a miracle because the food doesn't run out. Just as Elijah said, the jar continues to replenish, be replenished with flour. The olive oil continues to sustain. And they last for, I don't know how many more days. God continues to take care of them. They have enough food. God provides. Now this widow and her son were not Israelites they were not the chosen people, according to Old Testament standards. They weren't born in Israel. They weren't Hebrews. They didn't worship Yahweh, the one true God. They were Gentiles. They were foreigners. They were outsiders. Some in Israel at the time would have called this widow and her son despised or hated by God. They were idolaters. They were worshiping false gods. You know the funny thing, though? 
They were uh, Phoenicians in Zarephath. They probably would have looked at Elijah and the Israelites and said the same thing. They're a bunch of foreigners. They don't worship the right God. They're evil. And God hates them. Our gods hate them. But God doesn't think that way. God took care of Elijah. God took care of the Gentile widow and her son. While the chosen people in Israel were busy turning their backs on God and worshiping idols and sacrificing their children, God had compassion on a foreigner, on a Gentile. Jesus mentioned this story in the New Testament. He preached the homecoming sermon in Nazareth, his hometown, the fourth chapter of Luke. And during that sermon, he pointed out that God loves everyone. Even foreigners and social outcasts that religious people may look down upon. Furthermore, Jesus taught again and again that God's chosen people are not defined by religion or race or where they were born or where their ancestors lived. God's chosen people are people who choose to rely on God for every blessing, while living faithfully for him. The Israelites in Elijah's time were not living faithfully for God. We have to be careful not to look down on or reject anyone. There's an old saying that we learn in the church that I always have loved and found meaningful. Some people in our time don't like it. But it's a saying that says, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think that's so true. That is who God's chosen people have to be. We have to be a people who love the sinner and hate the sin. Now some people say, well, you can't do that. How can you do that? That doesn't make any sense. If you hate someone's sin, then it's like you're hating them. I don't think that's true. You know, we do this for ourselves, don't we? We love ourselves. We don't always love the way we act. I know if I look at my own personal life, I love myself. But I look at the way I act and sometimes the way I behave and I say, why did I do that? That was stupid. That was mean. That was wrong. But I don't hate myself. I hate what I did but I still love myself. And so what we're saying is that we got to extend the same kind of grace that we give ourselves to other people. We see things that people do sometimes when we think, that's awful. Why do they say those things? Why do they think that way? Why do they act that way? I hate that they do that, but I still love them. This is what we are called as God's people to do. We got to love people even if we don't love what they sometimes say or do. God's chosen people live by a simple creed that I think really is expressed pretty well 
in that simple meal blessing that kids sometimes say. We say, God is great. God is great. We believe that our God is great, that he is all powerful, that he is great enough to do anything, that he made the world, that he can control it, that he can stop the rain if he wants to stop the rain, or he can make it rain, that he can come and live on earth as Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that that same God can die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, and miraculously rise on the third day. God is great. And he can do anything he wants to do. But thankfully, God is also good. You know, you think about it. A great, all-powerful God that's not good, that's a scary thing. <laughs> but our God is good. He's not just all-powerful. He also is a good God who does the right thing. He cares for people, not just the good-looking, strong people that everybody likes. God cares even for the weak and the lost and the foreigner and the outcast. He cares for the widow who's starving to death with her only son. He cares for the orphan that everyone has abandoned. God is great and God is good. So let us thank him for our food. God's chosen people depend on God. We believe and are eternally grateful that God provides for us. We recognize that we will rise or we will fall by the grace of God. Not because of our own efforts and our own abilities and talents. We aren't special. But rather... It is by his hands that we all are fed. Some people in this world think that they deserve good things. They, they think they deserve to be rewarded because they work hard or they live right or some way or somehow they're better than other people. They believe they deserve a higher standard of living than the rest because of who they are or what they've done. They may even go so far as to believe that somehow God owes them. After all, they think, they've earned their blessings. But God's people, his true people, realize that they aren't fed by their own hands. Nope. It is by his hands that we all are fed. And so we humbly ask, give us, Lord, our daily bread. God's people realize that we are completely and utterly dependent upon God. The very bread that we eat is a gift from God. God's people willingly submit to God and wish to enjoy only the blessings he provides and will decline any blessings that don't come from his hand or that he does not allow. When the world says... You deserve to enjoy this or that pleasure. You deserve to get the most out of life. God's people say, no, I don't deserve anything. But God is good and he takes care of me anyway. 
And I will only enjoy the blessings God gives me and I will abstain from anything that God does not allow. Now the world will say, you're crazy. Why would you think that way? That's the way people long time ago thought. That's, that's an outdated idea. Why would you hold to such old-fashioned ideas? When they say that, I will say, God is great. God is good. I will trust in Jesus. Am I understood? I turn my back on worldly gain. This world won't last. Let me explain. You think wealth and pleasure are great? It all turns to dust at heaven's eternal gate. You can't take it with you. Not a thing whatsoever. I have something that will last forever. I live for Jesus because he died for me. Heaven's my kingdom and Jesus is my king. Perhaps today, for the first time, you can decide that Jesus is your king. You will be a person who becomes one of God's chosen people because you're going to depend on him for everything. You're going to depend on him for your daily bread, for your life on this earth from day to day. You're going to depend on him for forgiveness and salvation, not because you earned it, but because God is gracious and he gives it to you. Perhaps today for the first time, you decide to let him be your king. And I will celebrate with you. Hallelujah. If that's you today, perhaps today you need to decide again. You need to reconfirm that you are one of his you belong to Christ and you're going to continue to follow him and depend on him and you're going to be rewarded but it's not going to be because you deserve it. It's going to be because God is gracious. Perhaps today you decide that you're going to love people to the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit you're going to love people the way Jesus loves them. You may not like what they do but you're going to love them because when you do, you, em you enable them to begin a relationship with a God who is gracious. A God who can recreate us and make us new. A God who can pull us out of the muddy, nasty water of a drought and put us into fresh, clean water of a new life through baptism in Christ. So I pray that you'll make that decision today. Gracious Father, Thank you for your love and your grace. And now we all pray together. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hand, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen.